Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, May the 6th, 2020. This is episode 2654 of the Survival Podcast. It's interview day, and I've got Benjamin Page about to come on the line. If you're like, that name sounds familiar, you're a long-time listener, um... I'd say if you've listened to 600-plus episodes of the show, you're a long-time listener. I know we have people that have listened to, like, all 2,600 episodes of the show, but yeah, three, 400 episodes, I'd call you a long-time listener. He was on uh, years ago in uh, episode 2033. Uh, he is a chiropractic physician, and he is a really cool guy. He's been listening to the show uh, for a very long time and has made the jump to modern survivalist long ago. Uh, he's involved with permaculture. He's involved with total body healing. Uh, and he has a unique perspective on a lot of different things. He joins us today to talk about the interaction between us as human beings and the soil and why our ability and our need to interact with soil on our planet is actually critical to our ability to both thrive and survive as a species. And we'll talk about that with him in just a moment. Before we do, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is Ridge Wallet. Um, you know, Ridge Wallet is like one of those little bitty things that doesn't seem like that big a deal until you do it, and then it even doesn't seem like that big a deal until you think about what it's changed. The fact that I don't have a big lump on my butt that I sit on and then have to take my wallet out of my pocket so that I don't screw up my posture and mess up my back, it seems like a little thing, but it matters. And what it does is I almost never end up now inside an establishment or something like that and be like, oh, crap, I left my wallet in the truck or whatever because I have no need to take this little wallet out of my front pocket. And it also protects your identity. It is a shield against RFID sniffing. And it's about every card that you have today and your most of your IDs have some sort of RFID in them where they can be, you know, you can buy an $18 part on eBay and walk around wanting people's purses and butts and steal identities, credit card numbers, etc. It's a real thing. You can look it up and see more about it. Well, you're not doing that to me nor anybody else that has the Ridge Wallet. You can learn more at RidgeWallet.com. Remember, they do a discount for MSB members as well. Next up today, JM Bullion. Silver, um, to me, is one of the best investments that you can make. And I, I don't ever say, like, it's the only investment you should make or it's the investment you should make or it's the place for the majority of your investing. I don't believe any of those things. I still think it's one of the best investments you can make. And I like to hold about 5 to 10% of my total net worth in silver and gold. And silver is the one I prefer over gold for most things. What I like about gold is I can have a very large amount of wealth in a very small area that's very portable. So it is, it is the bug out wealth of choice as far as I'm concerned. Silver is a long term barter wealth thing to build things on that you can diversify and easily dollar cost average with. And you know, when I kick off whenever that is, uh, there's, a, there's some of my heirs that will simply have silver come into their life and no one will ever need to know about that. It will be between, you know, th them and the fence post and me who will be dead at the time. It is a way to anonymously hold and transfer wealth. And it is a physical way to actually put your hand on that wealth. And it has thousands of years of history. So we all know we should invest at least some in silver and gold. So why jam bullion? Well, if you're an MSB member, they give you a discount. They have better pricing than Monix and Atmix. All orders over $100 ship free. 
and they support this show and have done so for over eight years now. So why would you buy your silver or gold from anybody else? Check them out today, jmbullion.com. With that, let's go ahead and get into it. Before we do, i got a quote of the day for you. This is from Chief Seattle, and it is a quote that I thought really fit the topic of the day. It's really about connection to the earth as a whole versus just the soil. But the soil, to me, the soil is the skin of the earth. I would look at the soil and the surface water as the skin of the earth in two different ways. So think about that uh, as I read this quote to you. We are part of the earth, and it is part of us. The perfumes of the flowers are our sisters. <clears throat> the deer, the horse, the great eagle, these are our brothers. All things are connected like the blood which unites one's family. And I do think if you think about the way the beings interact, it is through their skin. Most of the interaction that's physical between beings is through their skin, even if that skin is covered with something like hair. How do you interact most intimately with your dog? You know, I have to take it to some sort of adult content level. You know, with people, right? You know, even a hug, of course, you know, could could be there. But just how do you interact in a true way that allows for the exchange of feelings with a dog? You pet it. You pet it. As long as you haven't let the government scare you into social distancing from your dog like an idiot, you pet your dog. It is that skin and the hair attached to that skin that transfers that feeling. And that feeling is more than the feeling you get from rubbing yourself up against the wall. Or your dog gets from rubbing himself up against the wall. When you pet your dog, there's an exchange. Okay, There's an exchange of feeling. A transfer of emotion. And a bonding. The, the dog really is man's best friend. It is the animal that has been with us for the longest that has bonded with humans and has evolved and co-evolved with humanity over thousands and tens of thousands of years. How do we interact with each other? We hug each other. We touch each other. We kiss each other. right? We can go further than that. That's what I was saying. We don't need to do that today right? Uh, to, to, to make this point. And it is when we walk barefoot upon the earth, it is when we stick our hands into the soil, it is when we participate in the co-creation and co-evolution of life, through planting and cultivation, that we are most connected to the earth. And like I said, it's the soil and the water to me combined. Because soil without water, we have nothing. And water without soil, we also have nothing. The first life that existed in the water, before we, there was a time when there was no soil. There was a time there was no soil, but life as we know it cannot exist without it. And that proto-life eventually began to come up out of our oceans, rivers and streams and begin to colonize the rock face of this planet. That's all there was, was a rock face. And those organisms literally consumed, yeah, bacteria, microbes, plants, etc., through exudates and exudate exchange and other means by which acids and bases are produced fall upon rock that are either basic rock or acidic rock. And as those two things combine, they actually consume rock slowly over time. The rock releases its minerals and the dead bodies of these other organisms then break down in combination with those minerals and eventually we end up with various types of soil. And it is as if the earth actually evolved for the purpose of life as we know it today. And in, in, a, in a very real way, no matter what you believe spiritually, that is true. Whether it is through random chance of science, whether it is through the spiritual beliefs of religion, 
completely guided by the hand of a creator, or if it is some combination thereof, it doesn't matter. It is the case that the evolution of the planet into a system covered in soil and water, which are the skin of the planet, are the only means by which life as we know it, including our own, can exist on the surface of the earth. And therefore it did it did evolve specifically to support us. And that should make us not arrogant, it should make us humble stewards of our planet. It should make us look at dirt a whole new way. With gratitude. With gratitude for the things that the earth went through, the catechisms the earth went through to get to a state where all life on our planet we owe to the fact that there's a few inches of topsoil and that it rains. We are part of the earth and is part of us. The perfumes of the flowers are our sisters. The deer of the horse, the great eagle, these are our brothers. All things are connected like the blood which unites one's family. Chief Seattle. All right, folks, and with that, hey, Ben, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. It's been a while, man. It has. over. Yeah, it has, it's been a long time. Thanks for having me back on the show. I'm, I'm super excited to be back. Yeah, it's like 600-plus episodes. I remember with 500 episodes was like a landmark episode, so it's been a while. I said that anybody that heard your first uh, interview is officially a long-term listener. I mean, I know there's people that have been listening since 2008, but if you've been listening since around 2000, uh, episode 2000. You've, you've listened to a lot of shows. I think you were on 2033. Um, and what that means is there's a whole bunch of people listening right now don't have a flying flip of a clue who Benjamin Page is. So before we dig into your topic today, let's, let's just get people caught up with who is Benjamin Page, man? What's your background and how did it lead you to kind of the way you're living right now? Um, I'll make it kind of short, but what, I, what I'm going to be talking about today is something that I actually first got to know through you, um, permaculture. Well, not just permaculture, but that word changed me. Mm-hmm. So in about 2008, I don't remember which episode it was, but I was listening to you and I heard you say the word permaculture. I was like, what in the world is that? And I went and started studying it, and that has changed how I see a lot of things in what we're doing in today, but – that's what this whole book is, this book that I wrote about and what we're going to talk about today is basically started in about 2008 while I was studying at Palmer College of Chiropractic and I learned what permaculture was. But I've always, I've always been very interested in, in health. Um, when I first started thinking about what I wanted to do in the world, I thought I would like to go to third world countries and just help people out in a medical sense. So I wanted to be one of those doctors that go out there and in the middle of the in the middle of nowhere and just help out as I could. And that was kind of what I was planning on doing to go to medical school and do that. But then I decided to get married and that kind of changed things. <laughs> um, when your wife doesn't have the same idea of going living in the middle of nowhere, then you, then you kind of change things around. And so what I did is I started to study certain philosophies and the chiropractic philosophy um, is how kind of was raised and it just seemed so natural to me. So I floated toward that and I went to Palma Cards of Chiropractic. And while there I learned about permaculture and while I learned, I was there studying about the body and the physiology and everything that we need to know to be able to treat patients, I also got back to the land. And I say got back to the land because as I was a young kid and we'll probably talk about, 
um, we gardened all the time. The garden was something very normal and it was something that we did every year. And I did it until we, we moved to the city, uh, when I was a teenager. So while there, I did all that and well, here I am. Let's see, 2008, 12 years later hmm. in the, in the process of learning and studying and failing and doing all that great stuff that, that helps us become better people. Well, very cool, man. Um, you've written a couple books now. Your second book you've titled Playing in the Dirt. Why'd you call it that? Because most of us need to play more. Um, as adults, me included, life just starts to get really serious. Um, so first of all, when we think of work, it's things, usually things that we don't really care to do. We kind of wait to the very end to do it. But we always love to play. And to me, that's what dirt is. That's what the garden is. That is, that's, it's playing. When I go out there and I, and I'm doing these things, I seriously, I feel wonderful and I feel great. And to me, it's playing. So I want to try to help people understand that getting back to nature and playing, working in the dirt is actually something not only going to give you lots of benefits, as we'll talk about in this episode, but it's, can be very fun and we should try to make it fun. Um, we'll talk about how lifestyles can be fun, but it, sometimes we have to work on it and with work, everything can become fun. So that's why I called it, that's why I called it playing in the dirt. And the subtitle is actually, uh, the key to sustainable health because I truly believe that it is. Uh, as we return to the soil, um, it's the truly, truly the only way that we'll have sustainable health, be able to stay healthy over long periods of time. Very cool. Now, one of the things that you talk about in, in the notes that you, you sent in for today's episode is our potential as human beings. What do you mean by that? And what do you see our potential as, as human beings? And that's an interesting question because most people, from what I see and from what I've read, don't even reach maybe 50% of what they can do or can be. Um, I use an example. I like using the example of David Goggins because you read his book and you're like, no way, that's impossible. I mean, you, you, you read a chapter and it's like, no, he couldn't have done that. And then you read another chapter and he, he did something even more crazy. Like, no, that just didn't happen. I mean, us as human beings, we have this potential, but we don't truly use it because we fall into what is normal life. I personally know, I personally thought, know that everybody has the genetic potential to be healthy. Um, we're, we're naturally healthy. If we just let our bodies and give our bodies what it needs, we'll be healthy. And I really like the author, David Green, too, um, how he talks about how we also have the genetic potential to, to find our task and ask, and actually master it. Um, become a master at the task or the tasks that we have in life. Uh, we have so much more to give, but we fall into this rut of life and we just get stuck and we have so much more to give. So we have so much more potential. And when I'm talking about potential, I am talking about human potential, but the book focuses on more than anything, our health potential and how we kind of leave that asset onto the, on the side. We don't, we don't truly build that asset. And we need to constantly be building that asset as, as, a, as kind of like a journey. I mean, health never ends. It's, it's something that we build on every day and every decision that we make, either 
moves us towards health or in the other direction. So, and that's kind of what I'm talking about as, as I go in into this book is our potential in health and what it actually is. And it's a lot more than what we believe or what we see or what we feel it truly is. So, I, and this is kind of one of those questions like there's a hundred answers to it and they're all good. <laughs> but why is planet Earth so important to our survival and our maintenance on our journey through life? So, I mean, obviously, the, the big answer would be because no Earth, we're all dead, right? But I think you kind of mean the, the things you're getting at here a little bit differently than that. Oh, yeah. Um, if, yeah, if there's no Earth, we're not here. But at the same time... If Earth isn't healthy, I mean, if our ecosystem, so that's what I talk about in that whole who we are and who we can become potentially is, is there's two ecosystems that are really important. Um, and these two ecosystems basically are our, our body, our ecosystem, the human being, and then ecosystem planet Earth. So we have these two ecosystems. And if we are willing to, work with one, we usually naturally gravitate to the other. So if we want to better ourselves and better our health, it kind of we kind of naturally gravitate to want to better this ecosystem called planet Earth and take care of it. So if we don't have a healthy ecosystem planet Earth, uh, there truly is no way to be healthy as a human being. They're, they go together. So that's why it's so important that we take care of this ecosystem called planet Earth because if it's not healthy, there's no way we as human beings can be healthy. And, and as I continue in, in, in one of the chapters in the book, I, I explain how, how that's so important and why we need to take care of what is planet Earth so we can be healthy. And that's what's so neat about it. Like I said at the beginning, if, if, we take care of planet Earth, we take care of ourselves. And if we take care of ourselves, we're going to have that natural desire to want to take care of planet Earth. And if planet Earth is not healthy, there's no way we can be truly healthy. And we can see that in today's health, too. I mean, we can see as over the years, uh, the planet has become more and more sick or more and more barren, less fertile soil, less trees and all that. And we can also see how it correlates with the health of the population of the world, how's it, how it continues to also decline as this, the health of the earth is also declining. So what is your view of our part in the ecosystem? There's no doubt that human beings can be a positive force or a negative force on the planet. But there, there's a school of thought, and it seems to be the dominant one. And while it's not directly stated, you see it indirectly. You see it in the way that we think of conservation or land management or what wilderness is supposed to be, where it's almost as if human beings are not supposed to be here, like we are some sort of alien species, some sort of invasive species on the planet that just showed up from Mars or something. And, and we know that's not true. We know that even though we are, you know, if you want to take it down to our very essence, we are we are children of the stars, but so is every other piece of matter on the planet. All all the matter is cooked in the pressure cooker of the stars. We, 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 did, we did come from this place, though. So to me, we have a role here as much as a, an ant does or a, a, a dog does or an elephant does or all of these species that are endangered now, big cats or whatever. The people want to protect because, you know, they're endangered or... Uh, they feel they need like a, a, a sequestered place. 
Well, we're as native to this planet as all other life. So what is our role in the ecosystem that is, that is on planet Earth? Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, we, we have an important role and a lot of times we, we let our role kind of go to the wayside and we think we're going to take control. Our role is to work with nature, um, to build her. Um, we, we have many ways of doing that and there's many ways to do it. But yeah, over time, we've kind of gone away from that. We need to work with nature. So our, our role is to work with her to help her continue to build soil as she continually does. And if we did the opposite and kind of destroyed some soil, we'll get back and build that soil back up. But our job mainly is to help keep Mother Nature healthy. And it's a pretty important job. Of course, Mother Nature doesn't absolutely need us, like you were saying, to do that. I mean, if we weren't in the picture at the same time, it would continue and it would become healthy all by itself. But we as humans and with reason, we can we can speed up the whole process. Even through all the destruction that we've done, we can speed up the process and at the same time maintain that process so, so the earth stays as healthy as possible. But yeah, we're, we definitely have an important role and then, and, and it's not controlling. It's not controlling. It's working with her and building her as we also become stronger and healthier by building her. Well, if you think about it, it's exactly what we're doing when we, we install a food forest. It doesn't have to be a food forest. When, when we, Use permaculture principles to establish a forest. Maybe we're establishing it as a forest that's just designed to be an ecosystem in of itself. Maybe we're doing it for food. Maybe we're doing it for fiber or medicine. Uh, what we're doing, though, is we're, we're not controlling nature in any way. We're not using any process that's not natural. What we're doing is we're accelerating the process. So if you think about how a forest successes early, what we consider low-value pioneer species of trees that are short-lived, you know, 20, 25 years, and they're dead on their own in the best of circumstances, grow, rapidly fall, rot, decay to the fungus and bacteria of the soil level as your longer-term overstory trees, uh, like, let's say, oaks or ash, then become dominant or large evergreens become dominant uh, in that forest. All we do is we take something that nature would do over, let's say, 50 years, and we're able to do it in 10, but we're not doing it because we used a laboratory. We're not doing it because we've used any single process that nature herself doesn't use. We're using the exact same process. We're just really overplanting the pioneers, and we are then using chop, chop and drop, etc., to mechanically accelerate their fallen uh, nature because the forest grows on a fallen forest. And I think that everything that we do that is a natural thing for human beings, and I didn't say that we're predisposed to do, that is a natural thing for our species on the planet, mimics that. Even gardening um, is basically the cultivation of edge, which many creatures do. If you look at the, the most abundant life and diversity of life on the planet, it's always on an edge. In the case that I'm speaking of with gardening, it's on the edge of forest and field. The middle of the field is not that diverse, and the edge and the, and the deep forest is not as diverse as where the two come together. And by understanding edge, succession, et cetera, all of these natural processes, what you're talking about working with nature literally is what we're doing because all we're doing is we're accelerating that natural process. Exactly, and, that, and that, that's, that's our role. I mean that's, that's what we should do as human beings. Um, 
that we should try to mimic or at least work with nature as much as possible. And as we do that, she heals or stays healthy. And if she's healthy, we're healthy. It's it's a beautiful process. Where does it go wrong and why? Like, I actually think it's pretty natural for human beings to do what we would call the right things ecologically. I mean, it, it really, I think that if you, all you have to do is step outside of what we have we have come to call civilization and go to where primitive people are, who apparently are, in my view anyway, are not very primitive. But you go to what we would call the remaining indigenous cultures, specifically where we haven't helped them, because where we've helped them, they have all the problems we have and more. But if you go to the few remaining pockets where people live in the jungle or live in the forest or live in the desert, and they are not disturbed by so-called advanced people, they all practice those foundational ethics of permaculture. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but when, when Bill Mollison came down to care of the earth, care of people in return of surplus, he actually had gone through the foundational ethics of, I think it was something like 30 plus indigenous cultures that remained. You could actually talk to them and say, what, what do you base everything that you do on? What are your ethics? And he came up with this huge list, but when they were distilled down to their commonalities, it was those three commonalities and the prime directive of, take, prime directive of taking responsibility for that of yourself and the children, which the children are the next generation, the people you won't be here to be responsible for, so you have to leave something behind for them. So we do this in every, every society that's managed to maintain itself in a natural state this is this is a foundational core of what we are. Like you don't get people in Papua New Guinea, you know, some island in the Pacific, in the middle of the Pacific, and the 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 upper you know Arctic tundra of of North America, with identical foundational ethics. If they're not intrinsic to our being, they should they should be. If you looked at like sociology or whatever, they should be vastly different, but they're not. So where do we let that go wrong? Yeah, that's 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 a really good question and it's not easy <laughs> to answer. It's not easy at all because I mean, if we are and I believe too, we naturally are this type of a person, why have we gone down this path? Why have we taken this path of destruction and 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 not just destruction but but not helping ourselves be who we truly can be and and it's that in i talk about how we can return to who we naturally are because that's a huge topic and i think that involves um getting into some some things that most people have our time even believing but what we can do what we can do is we can come back to who we naturally are, and that's what this book actually – that's what the book talks about it. And basically one of those healthy lifestyle choices, one of those natural ways of being human beings is touching the soil, playing in the dirt, doing what – like you are saying, all these indigenous people did. Of course, they, they hunted too, but one of the main things they did was – Live on the dirt. They were on the dirt. They did things with the soil and the dirt around us. But yeah, that's a, that's a complex question. And I imagine there's many reasons why we are, um, on the direction that we probably shouldn't be on. I think it's a lack of contact to a degree. Like technology is wonderful. It's done amazing things for us, but it's, 
It separated us from the dirt, from the soil in many ways. Um, and it's actually made us think of the soil as dirty. And I don't mean dirty as in it's made of dirt. I mean, it's dirty. It's nasty. It's we, if you get dirt on your hands, you must immediately wash them, you know, um, mm-hmm. that type of thinking. And it, it's, it's real evident to me. Like, so the earth is our home, right? And I think most people, you said that. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't see it that way. Right. So like the average person does not walk into their house and go, Hey, you know what I think I'm going to do today? I'm going to set that wall on fire and see what happens. Or I'm going to take a sledgehammer to that window and knock it out. You know, unless they plan to put a new window and they don't do that. And, and why? They live there. It's where they live. If I knock my wall down, I'll be cold and wet and the rest of my house will fall apart. Or like the roof will fall on my head. Or when, when the storm comes, I won't be protected from it. Like it's really immediately obvious that if I physically damage my home, I have a problem. Likewise, if I don't care for my home, if I happen to go outside and notice like, hey, my gutters are clogged, I know that if I don't unclog my gutters, I'm going to have water going down the wall of my house and rot out the wall, and that's going to be expensive, and I don't want that to happen because I live there. We've created this sense of separation, and so this giant, you know, toxic hole being put in 50 feet down the road from our house, we're generally okay with. We don't even think about it. It's no big deal. I mean... You don't generally see people, like some people have a problem, right? They have a mental problem or whatever, and you go in their house, they're like on hoarders, and they have garbage everywhere. But generally people don't walk in their house, open a package of potato chips, eat the potato chips, wad up the package, and throw it on the floor, right? But they do that to the earth. And the only thing I can see that's common in this is that technology and civilization have created the separation to where we no longer identify that piece of earth is our home. Like, my home's here, that piece over there is not mine. Why else would people drive down the road and whip, you know, soda cans or beer cans out of a window of a car? I guess if you're ditching the cops and you don't want them to catch you with the empty beer can, I, I kind of understand that. But otherwise, like, this doesn't make any sense. No. No, and it doesn't. And, that, and that's the, and that, and I think you're completely true. And it's not only the tech, not only technology in, in that sense, but in, in building and, and everything, how everything's advanced. I guess I can't say it's advanced, but as it's progressed or not even progress, how it's changed, how it's changed over time, how we build today. Yeah, it, it's a complete disconnect. We have no idea where the majority of our, of the bathwater goes. It just drains and goes away. It's not my problem anymore. Um, a lot of these things we just don't even need, notice anymore. We don't, most people nowadays don't even know where their food comes from. I would say the grand majority have no idea. They just go to a supermarket hoping that there's some food there that they're going to be able to buy. But where does that come and how is it grown? Where was it grown? It's it's a complete disconnect. And when we're not connected, when we don't feel it, yeah, it's it's easy to forget. If And it's simple to just let it go unless we're actually there connected with it and working with it. I'll completely 100% uh, agree with you. So when we look at nutrition – what does the planet have to do with our nutrition? And again, I know that's like, it could be an easy macro answer because like, well, all our food comes from Earth. Um, but the way that our food comes from Earth is really important when it comes to nutrition. And what role does nutrition play in us reaching our potential? And that's, that's a really cool question because what happens is most people, they eat food just to eat food. They really don't notice. And today people are going out there and they're buying supplements and they're and they're and they're doing all these things to try to try to augment or help 
in nutrition when truly all our nutritional needs can be found in the dirt. Um, billions of dollars are spent on on research to find what macro or yeah, it's almost all macronutrients, how we need them, when we need them, at the at the uh, at the amount we need them, so we can go and buy that supplement and it'll give us exactly what. And it can't be done. Um, we're just too complex as ecosystems. Our ecosystem is too complex to understand exactly what we need, when we need it, and the amount we need it all the time. It's just too complex. And all this spending money and trying to find that, that perfect combination is not possible. And people could think, well, that's kind of depressing to hear that, but it, it's truly not because nutrition – in its totality is very simple. I'm not saying it's easy, it's, it's simple. Because if we want it the natural and the best way, well, we have to grow some of our own food. And if we're not growing 100% of our food, which the majority can't do, well, we need to get it from somebody that's doing it the proper way. So nutrition is very simple. If we eat what's grown in a nutrient-dense soil, or we eat what was pastured on a nutrient dense soil. So if we're doing those two things, nutrition becomes very simple. Again, I, I go back, it's not it's not easy, but it's very simple to understand. Because then yeah, we actually have to get out there and work and get to know our local farmers. And sometimes that local ranch could be two or three hundred miles away. But if we see that they are raising meat in the in in a proper fashion, well we know that we're getting all the nutrition we need. And when we give our trillions of cells that nutrition, well, they do the rest. We don't even have to worry about micro and, and, and macronutrients, proteins, all that stuff that we, that you would learn in a nutrition class. You don't even need to worry about it. As long as you're eating food that's grown in a fertile soil or eating, if you do eat meat, and I recommend it because it's, I believe, a very important part of our nutrition as human beings, uh, that's it. Your body will do everything else. Your body will do the hard part. Our hard part is just getting in contact with it and consuming it, which nowadays is even harder due to the fact that the majority of the soil is dead and it's just not easy to find nutrient-dense food in a supermarket. It's usually found where? In our gardens or people that live around us that are growing it in a proper way. And that's one of the reasons, one of the reasons why playing in the dirt is so essential. It gives us that proper nutrition that we don't have to worry about if we just do that. We can, it's one less worry in a, in a, in a world full of worries, I guess we could say. Does it strike you as odd or ironic? Being someone that grows plants and has like this firsthand experience that I have all the time that I'm sure you do as well. So you'll see that a, if you look at medical science, the way medical science approaches nutrition is if you have the basic nutrients you're supposed to have, which you can probably get from the sad American diet, which is a pile of crap. Um, but you know, you can test somebody and as long as their, their levels of, you know, magnesium and selenium and zinc and all are not totally deficient, that, that really, that nutrition plays almost no role in our health. Like if you're fat or have high cholesterol, maybe, but in general, a person, we don't look at that person and say, they're having these chronic problems. It's a nutritional issue. We, we, it's like, it's totally foreign. Yet I'm sure you've grown plants and let's say that you've started a new bed and you'll notice in the first year that those plants are highly subject to pests. 
And as you build up the diversity and the integrity of that soil, and you could have provided all the fertility to that plant needed. You could test the soil. And uh, everything that plant needs, you know, to, to quote a movie, everything the plants crave is in the soil, but yet the plant still doesn't really look healthy and it's subject to insect pests. And after a season or two of working and cultivating that bed and cultivating that soil and developing a biological life in that soil, the same plant grows in the same soil where actually the pest problem should be more because you didn't do crop rotation. And the plant is vibrant and green and grows much faster. And even if there's some pests on it, it doesn't matter. And the pests are actually kind of friends. Like today, I, had, I went and got my wife because she's doing all my Instagram. And I'm like, I got a great picture for you. And it was one of my fennel plants. And it's covered with black swallowtail butterfly caterpillars that are eating it. And my grandson's like, they're eating it. I'm like, they can have all they want. They're not going to eat the bulb. <sighs> I don't care. That plant's fine. That plant doesn't care that they're eating it. it, it they're going to eat as much of it as they need. And then they're going to go to the dill or they're going to go to other fennel and they're going to eat it. And I'm going to have these butterflies flying around. Where if that plant was weak and that bed wasn't fully developed yet, they could actually kill that plant by feeding on it. But since it's vibrant and healthy, there's enough for them too. And when you look at that with plants, and then medical science kind of comes with this attitude of, well, you can't really cure disease with nutrition or prevent disease with nutrition. Doesn't that just like, like really make the case against this compartmentalization that all specialties go into? And with nutrition alone, you might, I mean, you could, you could probably say that no. Um, nutrition is a huge part of it. And like you were saying, your plants that first year, they're not, they're not super strong because the soil life still isn't at par with what it should be. But yeah, nutrition is one of the, and we could say vital points to how we become healthy. Yeah, nutrition and not, what I'm talking about, we're not talking about macro, micronutrients. We're talking how the body uses those nutrients. Exactly. If they, and if they have those nutrients, how they're using them. Because we have, the last time I read about, we have about 40 trillion cells, excuse me, about 40 trillion bacteria and about 30 trillion cells. So for every cell, we have 1.3 bacteria in our, in our bodies. So we, we're, and of course, bacteria is a lot smaller than a cell. So if you take all of that, it's about the same weight as our brain, but we have more bacteria in our, when we're healthy than we do actually human cells. And that's a big part of it too. So we look into soil and the soil life. So us as humans, if we want to be able to assimilate the nutrition that we're eating, we need to have that healthy bacteria in ourselves also. And that's something I also talk about in the book is the importance of how dirt builds that. Um, we, we go through the birth canal and the first thing we should experience is bacteria. Uh, we leave the birth canal and we take our first breath and really one of the first things we experience is the bacteria in the air. And then while we're crying, our mom, our mom grabs us and cuddles us and what do we experience? Bacteria on her skin. Um, so we're constantly around bacteria. And like you're saying before, people are scared of the dirt. We gotta get dirty and you go wash your hands and, but no, that's what builds us. So we have this soil, this, and we're eating nutrient dense food, which is awesome. We need to do that. And that's a very important part to who we are as human beings is eat food that's grown in soil that's nutrient dense or in other words, alive. So then all that's bacteria and all of our cells can work together 
and build a strong human being. And as I, as I explain in the book, we shouldn't be afraid of getting dirty. Um, I, I use an experience from my personal life when I was a kid and it, it's, it's almost, um, Unreal. It's almost hard to believe. I, I had to ask my older brothers, like, did we really do this? Because I didn't, I was young, so I might have not remembered it correctly, but he told me, yeah, we did this. And the reason we had these big old huge hills of dirt in our yards, because my dad had ordered some, some, some dirt to, to, to level. But these hills were there. And what we decided to do was become ants. And what we did is we took shovels and we started digging tunnels through this dirt. And we would, and I would start at one corner and he would start at the top and we'd dig these tunnels. And of course, when you're digging tunnels, dirt's falling all over you and you're getting all dirty. And then we had like six or seven tunnels that all came together and we started playing like we were in an ant and there's our anthill <laughs> until, and, until suddenly, um, my, one of my older brothers started screaming and one of the hills had fall on fell him. in on it, <laughs> fell in on him. <laughs> so we pulled him out, but we were incredibly Dirty. I'm um, incredibly dirty. Other experiences that I've had. I remember building a fort. Um, we we called it a house, but out of nail, I, I was eight nine years old. Nails, woods, uh, wood handsaw, and and hammers. And we built a fort. We would have built a house if we had enough material to put a roof on it. But we just had four walls. And we called it a fort. But we were outside. We were in the dirt. We we're getting dirty, and that built us. And helped us who we are today too. So I had these, the, and so the, it's not just the dirt and not, and not just the, the food that we get from the nutrition, uh, excuse me, the food and the nutrition that we get from the dirt, but the dirt builds us up in so many other different ways, as I explain in the book also. So getting into other topics. So you're saying basically that the dirt is healthy. Oh, um, yeah. The majority of so if we if it's if it's a fertile soil, if we take it and we put it and get a handful of it, there's billions of bacteria in that in that soil, and the majority of that bacteria is there to build us to make us stronger. For sure, we need the 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 more that our hands are in dirt, and now they've they've done certain studies. They found certain bacteria. There's, I mean, there's that the famous bacteria, Mycobacterium vaccae, that that is the bacteria that if we breathe it or if it gets inside our skin, it actually helps to increase the amount of serotonin that we that our body secretes or helps us feel good. Uh, and this is just one of the billions of bacteria that are found in dirt. Another important Another important reason that we should be playing in the dirt or getting dirty is it actually helps us in our whole immune system and how it prepares to fight against foreign invaders or domestic. Um, so if, if, it could be that one of the bacteria grows too much and we have to fight against it. So it helps us build our defenses. Today, with everybody talking about this this uh, this pandemic that's going on, COVID-19, I mean, the way to build our defenses is to let that virus or that bacteria get in so we can build a defense for it. I mean, we have, that's, that's, that's how us as humans fight. Is I think we, definitely one of the things we're not, do, well, I think it depends on where you live, but a lot of people we're not doing that we should be is go outside. I'm not necessarily oh. saying, you know, like, like people used to have in the, in the, like when I was a kid, we had chicken pox parties. Like, you know, get them the chicken pox, get it over with. It's better they have on their kids. 
I'm not saying we should do that with COVID, like get all people in a room together and swap spit with people who have COVID. But definitely we should, like staying inside is killing our immune systems. Oh, for sure. Going outside builds our immune systems. So we have a pandemic of an infectious disease and we tell everybody to go inside and kill their immune system. This, this literally makes no sense to me. And the, the big, one of the big points of contention in all this is the model that Sweden is employing where basically they're letting people mostly go on about their lives as normal. And some people have pointed to a somewhat elevated death rate compared to, let's say, the United States there. But I don't think you or I would be opposed to like, you know, we should probably protect people in elder care facilities. And the, the scientists in Sweden that are behind this decision have come out and done something people that are in official government scientific positions almost never do. They've said, I made a mistake and here is what it is. That, that is, that is as rare as hen's teeth in Texas, man. That is not something you see. But you know what they said? We didn't close the elder care facilities. And it turns out, had they, their death rate would be significantly lower per capita than the United States. And their model is basically let people go live their lives. And we're, we're figuring out that this thing, even in, the, in even with the shitty nutrition we have and the shitty health in our country, has less than a 1% actual death rate when they start doing antibody testing. And I just wonder, would that rate actually be lower if m not all of us, like immune compromised over a certain age, et cetera, but if most of us had just gone on about our lives normally and maybe taken a few extra precautions, maybe, maybe not having you know, 80,000 people crammed into a stadium. Maybe that's a good idea during a pandemic, but telling people they can't go to the beach or take a walk in the woods or like when they reopen the Texas state parks, like you can go to state park, you got to wear a mask. What the, what? So I'm walking alone on a trail with a surgical mask on to protect who? The squirrels? Like th this is all so counterintuitive. And how did humanity survive before we had all these people in bureaucratic positions tell us how to live? And, and my <laughs> answer to that, my own question is pretty well. You know, yeah, by themselves. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yep. Um, I I agree with. There's there's no need to to have all the healthy people stuck inside their houses. That does no good. Yeah. We need to get out there. Of course. When you say there's people that are comp, so there are people with pre-existing conditions. Yes. Take care. Do what you need to do to make sure you don't get in contact with those type of people. Or if you're at a certain age, yeah, make sure you don't be in contact with that type of people. Do what you need to do. But the rest of us that are healthy and strong. Get out there and go to work. And what they sure. say is, well, you know, some some seventeen year old died, or some Iron Man that was forty one almost died, or whatever. You know what? Some people die every day. I, I mean, just to be, I mean, like when you put your shoes on and walk out the door, you take a risk of death, right? I mean, there are tons of elective surgeries, and I don't mean like some of the things they're calling elective that aren't really elective, like you know, like cancer surgery and shit like that. I'm talking like totally one hundred percent. You do not need this to be to survive. You don't need this surgery. It's cosmetic or whatever. That have a higher risk of death than COVID. They're, they're like, mathematically, there is no, you know, they have a 2% risk of death. You know, if you go under anesthesia, you have like a, a somewhere around a 1% risk of dying. Period. Right. So like people do this every day and then all of a sudden they can be so easily scared inside. And don't you think that just being outside is a great way to improve your overall health and well-being as it is? And, and let That's, me add to that question: What damage do you think is being done by not doing that? That we are we are weakening our immune systems by not being outside. And how do we fight any type of bacteria and virus? By strengthening our immune systems. So now, when we do, so 
after this whole process is done, whenever it gets done, uh, we'll probably see a spike in, in everything else, not just not just uh, COVID, but we'll just see a spike in, in just bacterial and viral sicknesses in, 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 in general because the whole – by staying inside, you're, you're, you're not strengthening your immune system. And by being outside and playing in the dirt, that's pretty much the best way to improve your immune system. Um, a lot of the, my health that I have today is because I was outside playing in the dirt quite often as a kid. Um, I don't remember personally eating dirt, but I imagine a lot of it got in my mouth. But I do remember eating bugs. I remember, I remember one time playing out with my tractors and I saw ants and I was like, oh, that looks weird. I picked one up and I ate them and I've eaten many. I mean, these are the things that built us as kids to have a, a, an immune system to be able to fight what we are fighting now. I'm one of those people that it's people get sick and I don't get sick. Why? Because I played in the dirt as a kid, and I continue to play dirt as an adult. So I, as a chiropractor, I see it's, this, it's always the same people that get sick every year. They'll get something. They'll miss work. They'll come in and ask me, hey, can I get off of work because I don't feel good? It's the same people. And it's almost always because why? They've always kept themselves pretty isolated from the earth, from how from to, everything, from from yeah, from the bacteria around us that actually makes us strong and who we are. Of course, like I said, um, if you're going to go out and you're going to be in a place where there is something like COVID nineteen, you're going to be out there and then. You're going to come home. You're going to wash your hands. That's that's good. Do that. But if you're going to be in your backyard playing in the dirt, really, there is no need to wash your hands unless they're just super dirty, um, it, just covered in filth. But it, there's no. It's not that important. Of course, you take the precaution if you're living in an area where, yeah, you go out, you come home. Yes, wash your hands. But it's it's not as important as people say it is. And I could go on about how how the immune system. And how it's built is is through playing in the dirt. Um, the 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 main reason why we don't get sick is because our defenses have built antibodies to certain things. So when it does come into our system, our body can attack it and it kills it right then. Yeah, maybe we'll get something that we don't have and we'll feel down for a couple of days, but the next time that even touches our ecosystem. It's done. It's gone because we have the antibodies. We have that missile that knows exactly what, where it needs to send it and how it needs to send it, and it goes, and it's done. So the only way to truly be healthy is to let ourselves – let those let that bacterium virus inside so we can build a defense against it. And yes, like you said, people do die. People die from anything every day, um, and it's, it's something – it's part of life. Um, and we need to recognize that, and we need to try to – those that need to prevent, need to prevent. But at the same time, the way we build ourselves uh, – I mean it's the it's, circle of life. It's not the line of life, right? I mean you know, it, 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 it comes back to, to where you started, which is you weren't here. You weren't here, then you're here, then you're not here anymore. That's, that's why we call it a circle. We, exactly. we don't call it the linear aspect of life or the unending line of life. We, we, it, we one of the things we have to come in touch with is that we all die. I remember when I was a kid, there were a lot of uh, elderly people in the community that I, I came up in, 
And when I say elderly, I'm talking 90s. I mean, there were a lot of, and you know, they were all people that gardened their whole life and like were first or second generation immigrants from Ukraine. And, you know, imagine that, you know, lived on meat that was boiled because it had maggots in it and that you had to make it safe to eat. I mean, like, like these, this is how these people grew up. They all smoked freaking, you know, camel mo filters and all. And they lived to be 90. But they also were in touch with by the time they were like 92, like, hey, you know what? Not going to be around much longer. And some of these people, you know, when you're a kid, 30s old, but I mean, they were really old, but yet, you know, you'd go up to visit them and they'd walk out to the raspberry bushes with you or whatever. And they were, they seemed in pretty good shape for how old they were. And every once in a while, they'd say something like, you know, you're not going to be able to come up here much longer because I'll be dead soon. And when you're 10, you're like, what? <laughs> what? But they were in touch with that. Like you're 92. How long do you think you're going to live? You know, nobody wants to jump in the box tomorrow, uh, but. There, there is a, a, a reality to being mortal that everything we do comes with risk. But in addition to the immunity, what do you think about the, the psychological damage of not going outside? Like not being part of the, the planet that you were born into? Oh, yeah. I mean, not only the psychological, but the whole... Oh, the whole community too. I mean, we lose, we lose that whole aspect of community. And if we don't have community, I mean, a lot of the psych, I mean, we, we are a species that, that thrive on community. Of course, there's moments where we like to be alone and take time and just ponder by ourselves, but we're a species of community. We need to be together and, and, and it can't be virtual. I mean, yeah, virtual communities have helped me. I've learned a lot from virtual communities, but it's, it's not the same thing. We have to be out there. We have to be interacting with other human beings if we truly want to be healthy. That's another reason why playing the dirt is so, is so wonderful. Um, where I live right now, well, I unfortunately just moved because of something. And the reason this is coming out so later, I'll talk about later is, is because of the, the whole tragedy. But where I used to live, the only place I had to garden was in between the street and the sidewalk. That was it. Hmm. But I took that and I built that little piece of land and I made it as fertile as possible. And the neatest thing about it was I was out front and people would walk by and they'd stop and they'd look at me and like, what are you doing? And they'd ask questions. They'd start a conversation. Of course, almost the first question was always, don't people come and steal that stuff? And, but after that, the conversation blew up into a beautiful conversation. We built community. A lot of the people that lived right around me, I got to know them because I was outside playing in the dirt. I was out gardening. And that whole psychological effect is, is incredible and incredibly important in our own health. Not mental, but physical, because mentally we're, we're, everything mental is physical and physical is mental. So all those things work together. So just being out there, I had a conversation with one guy named Ugo that he was telling me about his wife and how he's sick and he wanted to get back to gardening. I was like, well, do this, this, and that, and that. And he had a backyard. And then two weeks later, he came back and he told me that he had started gardening. He had a question about his, his plants that had just germinated, his little tomato, cherry tomatoes. And that's just one example of how being outside and playing in the dirt could build community and help us so much psychologically because we are a species of community. We, we need those, we need those moments to be with other people. And at this moment, we're, we don't have that. And yeah, there's, there, it's, there's, there's being all sorts of negative consequences due to that fact. And so being outside and playing in the dirt, planting garden is a great way to, to build what, what that whole psychological health and into something beautiful. You know, we were talking about indigenous cultures and one of, and, and, and if you, I think if you want to see human beings 
being their most human, what humans really are. You go to indigenous cultures. You look at the way they feed themselves, the way they take care of each other, the way that they live. And what you will find in the evening, any place these indigenous cultures are, is what? Gathering. You know, generally it'll be a fire or something like that, and, and, and it's multi-generational, right? It's not all the, all the 20-somethings run off to a nightclub. All the kids get in front of the TV and are babysat by the TV. All the adults go somewhere else. Like, all those generations, three, four generations, are intermingled. And stories of their history and stories of their future and discussion of the challenges, like, you know, planting or hunting or whatever, are, are there. And they are laid bare to all. The, the, no, there's no none of this thought of, like, you know, if we... Uh, if we don't bring in some game, we're going to have a meat shortage. But don't say that in front of the children, right? Because by the time the children are old enough to comprehend what's being said, they're old enough to be some part in assisting with it. So this community that we're lacking is magnified right now by all of these stay-at-home orders and everything and people not getting out and not interacting. And I, 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 I'm starting to see something very unnatural and very disturbing about an old person dying while their family's not allowed to see them. Now, I I get closing elder care facilities and saying, you cannot go here, okay? I get that. That is a very vulnerable population, and about half of the people that have died from this, that's exactly how they died, because it got into one of those facilities. But if you have a person, and you know that person has a week or two left, and we that happens very frequently in these facilities, and that person is supposed to sit there and die without their loved one holding their hand, I find that to be one of the most unnatural things I've ever heard of in my life. And there's no reason at that point that person can't be removed from that facility so that me holding my loved one's hand while they die doesn't risk your loved one. There's no reason that can't happen. There's no risk to them. They're they're dying. When my father-in-law passed away, he had about three days, you know, kind of those last days that we knew they were there. And my wife spent as much time as she could at his side during that period of time, even though he was mostly unconscious. The fact that we've gotten to a point where we think it's okay to to not have that experience available to that dying individual, and we do that in the guise of protecting them, is a sickness. It's a, it's a larger, whole-scale humanity sickness. And I don't think COVID caused it. I think it revealed it. And, oh, for and, sure. and people listening to this might be, okay, so they've diverged far from the soil and playing in the dirt. No, I have not. When we cease to be what we are, we cease to behave like we are supposed to. And when we cease to have, when we start to see that square of dirt over there that we pollute, it's not our home, but the square of dirt inside our home as ours. We, are, we have already disconnected from that reality. And oh, yeah. to me, that's why this is so easy to do to people, because I think if you had tried to do this to my grandparents, the, the torches and the pitchforks would already have come out. And there, the, 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 the um, pre-colonial, or not the, the, the colonial period time, the practice of tarring and feathering bureaucrats, I don't know that the feathers would be applied, but I think the tar pot would already be on the fire. <laughs> and I think at least they would be kind of like, you know, fanning the fumes of the tar outside of the state buildings so that the smell could come through the window. But yet most people, it's the monkeys policing themselves right now. They, they, they are holding their own, their, their own down. 
like the, the, the public shaming and attacking of anybody that would dare even suggest that it might be okay to take a walk. When you're oh, probably sure. safer taking a walk in the woods than you are in your own home, even right now. Yep. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And you're, all that you were talking about, I mean, it's all, it all just, it makes sense. But it, when you're talking about how the generate, it was intergenerational. Mm. And the kids talked to the adults and the adults talked to the kids and they knew what was going on. And there was a, there was a moment in my life and I'll, I'll I'll explain how this has to do with playing in the dirt, but there was a moment in my life where I finally realized that life was really tough. Life's not easy. I mean, I was raised in a way where life was pretty easy. The majority of my life was pretty easy until I got, until I went off, uh, Mary went off to college and, and realized that, wow, um, this is not as easy as I, as I thought it was going to be. And not only that, I started to receive a lot of negative feedback, not constructive criticism, but negative feedback negative negative things were being said to me and I, and I started to believe those things but the reason I did is because I thought life was easy when I was a kid because I wasn't involved in any of that stuff I just thought I just thought it was easy so as I grew older and I realized that life is pretty tough and people will kick you and they'll kick you while you're down and then not only that they'll say negative things to keep you down it, I got to the point of I started to believe these things I started to believe these things there was and there was a point where I was really low. I mean, really low to the point where when I graduated Parmal College of Chiropractic, uh, I was, I was hoping, I was hoping that by walking and receiving that diploma, I would feel hope. I would feel mm-hmm. something that would help me not continue to, to think and feel how I was feeling. And I remember when I received that diploma and I felt exactly the same. I mean, it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, I, nothing's changed. I still feel hopeless. I still feel like I'm not adequate. I still feel I can't do this. And not only that, I have a ton of student loan debt. And this just hit me. I was anxious about the future. I was depressed about the past. I mean, I had a hard time just living my day-to-day life due to this, due to, due to my internal dialogue of who I was telling I was and then with all the other anxieties that I was going through. And I remember my last year of going through college, there was, there was moments in my life that I felt pretty good. Very short moments, very short moments. Um, and it all goes back to the garden. Um, this was the point where I started listening to you also, is 2008. And I wanted to plant a garden because I hadn't planted a garden since I was a kid living with my parents. And I started to study a lot of things and a garden always came up. And I remember my garden was a planter box that was four feet by one foot by one foot deep and two flower pots that I had found thrown out into the trash. And the wood planks that I built were also wood that was thrown out into the trash. I built it. I built these things. I bought some soil. This is when I was in Iowa. And I planted tomatoes and peppers. And while I was doing this, I felt good. Even just these couple of moments and i remember hearing you too when you talked about it there was a point in your life when you would come home and what you'd have to do is go out to your garden that, like that was yeah. the first thing you did you yeah. went out to your garden you would do you would you would you'd play with your plants a little bit and then then you're like okay i can do this i mean yeah. so these five to ten minutes of 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 peace happened when i was outside playing with those 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 ten plants that i had 
It was beautiful. It was, it was, it was beautiful to be able to feel that. And that's another thing that the garden does. It brings us into the present. It brings, it allows us to focus in, on something that's good right now. The garden is something that's good and it's something that's right now. And I started to feel just a little bit of that with that little teeny garden I had that, that allowed me to feel that. But like I said, it all started because I was thrown into life kind of like, Boom! And I realized I got kicked down. But gardening is a great way, and I'm just going to say it, to meditate. Use that word that's become so common and popular. I like to call it to be in the zone. Um, people that play sports, that have played sports, might know what I'm talking about. There's a There was a time when I was in the zone. I mean, I'm a defensive player, and I remember I was on a team, and, and we were playing – it was the finals, and we were playing against a team that was better than us. But for some odd reason, defensively, I could do nothing wrong. I remember even at the final moments of the game, the bigger, better players that could dunk the ball. I was there, and I remember jumping up, him jumping with a running start, him hitting me, and him falling down, and I was able to block his dunk, him being bigger and better than me. How did I do that? I have no idea. Physically, I don't know, but... The reason I was able to do it is because I was focused on one thing. I was in the zone. And the garden allows us to do that also. It allows us to meditate and leave the past behind. Stop worrying about a future that we don't know what is going to be. And allows us to be focused on something beautiful in the moment, which is grow food. So that's another thing I talk about in my book. Another way that playing in the dirt is an awesome lifestyle to implement into our lives it allows us to be here and now in the present doing something good and not only that helps us to be grateful for what we have i mean it's so easy to be grateful for a seed it's so easy to be grateful for a fertile soil it's so easy to be grateful for the rain that falls or the water the potable water that we have to water our plants it's so grateful to it's so easy to be grateful for a for a fruit that we grew and that we are eating with our family it makes it so much easier to be grateful and in the present focused on something beautiful and that's and it was and i remember it was just those those minutes at a time that i was able to feel at the beginning when i was so down of course i have my i, I still have my hard times but it was it's not as bad as they were at that moment but being able to be in the garden being outside and playing in the dirt helps me helps me leave those behind and it's a beautiful experience to be out in the garden i do it i i do it of course for the nutrient dense food but there's so many other things that i do it for and in the book i explain up to eight thing eight reasons why playing in the dirt is such an important lifestyle and why we should involve it in our lives as as often as possible yeah, I mean, when you mentioned how I would come home, for those that weren't listening back then or when I used to talk about it more, I, I worked in the, the, the corporatocracy as, as big as it gets. I was a, a, an owner and a C-level officer in a holding corporation, and so I was actually running multiple companies, and I was working about 70 hours a week. And I would spend about an hour in my car just to get home. An hour in the morning as well, that's where the show came from because I got to do something productive with this time. But after dealing with that shit all day and often after then doing kind of after hours, meetings, entertainment, you know, client courtship type thing, uh, anytime that one of my partners would be trying to hire somebody, I would be the guy that would go as kind of the, the, the assistant and kind of dragging that person into the fold and just dealing with that shit all day and then dealing with an hour of traffic. I would get home and I did not want any of that 
that was now on me, in me, and part of me to touch my child or my wife. I did not want them exposed to that. And it took a while for my wife to fully understand because up until that point, I'd spent most of my my professional career, I traveled a lot, but I basically worked from home. That was like my final thing, and I was in this office with these people all day long. And unlike when I traveled, I didn't have a four-hour car ride, mostly on open road, coming home where like, you just, you know, you think and you listen to audiobooks and whatever, and you're human when you walk in. No, I mean, I had an hour of bumper to bumper assholes after dealing with assholes for nine and a half hours, right? And then two more hours of assholes at the bar to get them to come work for me. And I really didn't want them to come work for me, but my partner wanted them to come work for me, so I had to do it. So by then, I was just this terrible non-human. And I did not want to speak to my wife in that state. I had too much respect and love for her to speak to her in that state. If my son was home because he wasn't working or at school, I did not, or you know, off playing with friends, I did not want to be interacting with him while I was in that state. And that switch was picking up that garden hose and watering that garden and watching those plants in the Texas sun that were a little bit limp and tired at the end of the day come back. And then seeing a bird come in and drink the water and a butter uh, or a, you know a dragonfly come in and sip the water off of the off of the bean plant. Now I'm human. Now oh, yeah. I can interact with them and I can be the man that they expect me to be instead of the man that I have to pretend to be all day long. And oh, if you can get out of that life, get, you know, that life, right? But if you can't, it can be your therapy. And it is more than just the food. I do not begrudge when, a, when I look at a lettuce plant that I never got to eat because I grew so much and go, yeah, let it go a couple more days and get really big, and I cut it off and I throw it to the ducks. I, I don't feel like you know I failed in some way. Like I, I didn't get to eat that. I don't care. I got to grow it. Now I want the ducks eat it. You know, and the ducks hang out with me, have coffee in the morning. Like all of this makes me innately more human and more of who I really am. And just even this, the way I was describing that, and I throw a little bit. I mean, I'm a podcaster and I've been doing it a long time, and I'm good at it. And I throw a little theatrics in there, but I can I can literally feel my blood pressure rise. When I discuss that period in my life, I can literally feel anger coming back into my being when I discuss that period of my life. And it, it took total separation from it to realize it wasn't just that I didn't like it. It's that it wasn't me. It wasn't who I am and what I am. And I think if you are at a loss for who you are and what you are, put your hands in the soil. Touch the skin of the earth. Interact, and I think it will bring it back to you. Oh, yeah. And... It, it, like you say, touch it. Let, and it doesn't have to be physical touch too. I mean, you were just out there watering, and just, just the 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 sensation, the sensation of the sun's rays, the, the, them touching you, the the air around you, the smell. It 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 yeah, it, it heals you. It makes if you, grew you up in a feel garden, better. You know, if you grew up in a garden, like with your grandparents or your parents or whatever, and you ever watered tomatoes, the second water hits a tomato plant, there's a smell. And yep. wherever you first or most happily experience that smell, every time you hear that, you get that smell in your nose, you're there. It'll never go away. It's like fresh cut grass. It's like when you walk into a place where there's pine trees, but it's like the first snow and the snow's in the pines and there's a smell that comes off those pines. It's no, no other place that you get that smell. All of these things are natural things and we are anchored by them. And when you experience them, 
it's a touch that can be tactical, tactical like you're saying, like your hand in the soil, but it's also these touches from these natural interactions. You know, we talked about edges earlier. Well, these, that's an edge. Your nose and that smell are an edge. That, the, the heat of radiation of that sun on your skin is an edge. It's all edge and it's where all abundance occurs. Oh yeah. You know, and it's, and that's, that's another reason to just go out and play in the dirt as I call it. Of course, a lot of people call it work. I call it play. But I'd like to talk about one more point if, sure. if, if there's enough time. Yeah. And it's, and one of the things that I do now, it's not just playing the dirt, but I try to be barefoot as much as I can mm. while I play in the dirt. Well, why would I want to do that? Well, it's the same reason why I exercise with my kids barefoot when I'm out inside. And something I've been trying to do a lot more while we're here, kind of, because I, I don't know if you knew, but I'm here in Argentina, and it's basically, it's national, national quarantine. It was, mm. it was over six weeks ago, national. It's slowly starting to open, open up again, and, and, but it's, it's, it's been pretty bad. And so we've been basically stuck inside. I go out and do my things. I mean, I go out anyway, I get, mm. get, I get things done that need to be done, but, as a as a chiropractic physician, I mean, not just because I I can't see patients, but most of the patients are either scared or the, of the virus or scared of getting caught to be outside, <laughs> so they don't even leave because they're scared that they'll get caught. So you have to have a special permission to leave. But so we've had a lot more time at home, and I've been able to focus on on certain things, which is a good thing. But one of the things is we've been doing exercise outside, and one of the first things I always tell my kids is, well, shoes and socks off, and then we start the warm up. Um, why would I say that? Because when our feet touch the earth, our feet are like the roots of a tree. So it's been shown that our foot for every square inch, there's about 1,300 nerve receptors hmm. that are, that are accepting electrons that are found on the earth. So the, the, the earth has a natural, natural negative charge due to the fact that there's, there's lightnings, Pretty much all the time somewhere around the world. So the earth has a natural negative charge. And what does that do? Well, those electrons, that natural negative charge, if we are bare feet or hands also, but bare feet is, is a great way, um, those electrons enter through those nerve, through those, through the feet and they actually start to neutralize what are the free radicals. So a free radical is basically just a mo- molecule that's looking for another electron and it will do anything to find it, even destroy healthy tissue to find it. And normally we don't, we shouldn't have so many free radicals that they're doing that, but with our modern day living and what we're eating and how we're, and how we're sitting down way too often, um, we have a lot more than we should have. How do we neutralize that? And how did our ancestors neutralize the natural effect of free radicals? Because as we eat nutrient-dense food, that still forms free radicals. I mean, as we grab the shovel and, and lift a, lift a shovel full of dirt, that forms free radicals also as we contract our muscles. Well, the way that we do it, the way that we, that we neutralize those free radicals naturally is by touching the dirt. Um, it does have to do with our diet also. That's why everyone tells us to eat foods that are high in antioxidants. But the best way and the most simple way is just by taking your shoes and socks off and planting your feet in the dirt. Those electrons in the earth will go up and they'll slowly neutralize all those free radicals. Or in other words, decrease inflammation. It's so simple. It's so simple. It's the best way to decrease inflammation. Take your shoes and socks off and walk for 30 minutes outside. Do that every day and you'll see a crazy increase. I have a, I have a, a, a neat example in my life 
that just happened last two months. As I was saying, the last house we were living in had very little space to actually uh, stand on dirt. So our backyard was all cement, and my garden was all planter boxes. I had It was all planter boxes in the backyard because the whole backyard was covered with cement. In the front yard, all we had was that small, maybe 10 by 10 square in between the street and the and the sidewalk. So it wasn't even mine. I was just gardening in between the street and the sidewalk. So there wasn't a lot of time for me to be out and pl- to actually – put my hands in and play in the dirt. We did have another small section where I would go out there with a chair and I would hang out with my wife and we'd not plant my feet in the dirt, but it just wasn't that much. And I was I was sleeping terribly. Uh, I was getting very little sleep due to many things in, 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 in my life at the moment. But since we, we moved, we had to move from that house, um, I'm at a place where we, there's, a, there's a backyard now and I am barefoot all the time and I try to be outside touching the ground as much as I can. And it is impressive how I am still sleeping about the same. The amount of hours hasn't changed, which is few. I need to be sleeping more. Uh, but I get up and my body doesn't tell me get back in bed. Hmm. Um, before, I would put my alarm clock in this separate room so it forced me out of bed. And I would go turn it off and my body would say, go Back to bed, and a lot of times I would just go back to bed, or I would do something. I do some exercises, drink some water, and force myself to get up. But then I'd, I'd drudge through the morning. I wouldn't get anything done. But now, as I'm, it's, it's a beautiful example. I'm just touching the. The only difference is I'm touching the dirt with my feet a lot more. I'm bare feet. I get about the same amount of sleep, but I get up, and I'm ready to go. It's a beautiful feeling, and it's just an example out of my life. And there's, but as we touch the soil with our bare feet, as we, it's it's actually a new word, which is sad because before it was just something that was done naturally. I mean, people either had only skins around their feet, or they walked bare feet, and they usually slept on the ground too. That's all. That's all been taken away since the the, the invention of rubber soles on shoes and and beds. So before it was natural, but today. It's a, it's, it's called earthing or it's called grounding. And it's something that's, that a lot of people are starting to do. Um, in, in, in Japan, they have a term for, it's called sunbathing, shirun yoku, I think is what it's called. And in, in English, it's ecotherapy, but it really is just getting back into nature and letting nature heal you. And the earth wants to heal us. The problem is we are insulating ourselves from it. We're insulating ourselves from the earth that wants to kill us. And if we just take our shoes and socks off and let those electrons, free electrons, enter our body and neutralize those free radicals, the majority of sickness will decrease because the majority of sickness is inflammatory. It, at least we're talking about uh, metabolic disease, anything that all, all of the crazy sicknesses that are happening, happening today – uh, the diabetes and the heart conditions and all those sicknesses that we didn't see 50 to 100 years ago, it's due to inflammation. I agree with that. Also, just to like take it down to the most basic level on, on you know, you taking off your shoes and socks and walking on the earth. I don't think anybody ever says in the beginning of the day when they go to put their shoes on to go to work, whatever, I can't wait to take to put these shoes on. I just can't wait to put my shoes on. It feels so good when I put my shoes on. But almost everybody thinks toward the end of the day, man, I can't wait to take these things off. Oh, now, yeah. If that doesn't say it all, I mean, it, it makes me think of a totally different thing uh, saying about the corporate world. 
and I, I can't remember where I got this, but they say in the corporate world, every day men hold a blade to their own throat and then they tie a noose around it. And, it, you know, when we think of things like shoes and a lot of things that we, we see as normal and natural, well, I've never seen, I've seen a lot of ch children get born, never seen one born with shoes, never seen one born with a tie, you know, never seen one born that was, sh I've seen a lot of bald ones, but I've never seen one born with a razor or being shaved before they came out, right? Like there are intrinsically natural human things. And I, I'm not going to get rid of all my shoes. I understand the purpose of shoes. I'm not saying shoes are evil, but I'm saying I, I completely agree with you that, you know, like my, just even even indoors, like or pseudo indoors, like my wife and I play darts and pool out in our uh, garage. And the first thing I do when I go out there is kick my shoes off, even on concrete, because you're still on a a natural material touching the planet. Like there is a certain uh, there, and there's a place for shoes. Like I promise you, you come walk around my property barefoot for a while, you'll put some shoes on, especially in about a month and a half. Because that's when the sand burst will come out, right? But where I can walk barefoot, I prefer to. We used, I used to work out uh, quite a bit outside. I had like weights and pull-up bars and everything set up outside at one of my places. And what I did is I brought in sand so that you could comfortably work out barefoot. Um, it would, and it was a totally different experience. You felt like you were doing something natural instead of something, you know, that was rigorous and regimented. You felt much more like you were, you know, moving a boulder so that you could, you know, I don't know, set a trap for an animal than you did that you were, you know, lifting a weight for the purpose of being on the cover of a magazine just by taking your shoes off. And so there's a place for foot gear, but man, there's also a place to take that crap off. And again, I've never heard anybody say, I can't. Man, I can't wait. Can't wait to put my shoes on in the morning. But boy, I've heard. I mean, I'm sure you have people that I can't wait to take my shoes off. There's a reason. There is a oh, reason. Yeah. It, it, wrapping up here now, man. Can you tell people a little bit more about your latest book and uh, where they can learn more about you? Yeah, I will. And uh, it was supposed to be out, but um, what happened was, I mean, I. The, the date is unforgettable, 28th of February, 2020. Um, one of the things that got robbed of mine was my computer that had everything on it that I needed to use to launch the book. So that all changed. And if everything works out, I'm hoping it does. It'll be June 1st, 2020. So I've been, I've been working on a computer that's not even mine. Um, I'm doing this interview that's, with you, with a computer that's not even mine, because one of the one of the things that got stolen was my work computer. We got robbed on the twenty eighth of February, two thousand twenty, and that that pushed everything back. So it should be June first, two thousand twenty. If you want okay. to get more information, um, Ben Page DC on Instagram in my bio. If you don't use Instagram, just go to my website, Pastos Better This Farm. Dot com. That's where you can get it. And this playing in the dirt is going to give you eight reasons why we should be out in the dirt. Why we should be playing. Why we should be touching soil. It's going to teach us. It teaches us how it makes nutrition simple. It teaches us how feeling her actually heals us. It teaches how it can decrease stress in many ways. It helps us build communities and how communities help build us. It provides adequate movement. Um, or it can help us provide adequate movement. There's times in my life where I have become, I've been from head to toe, uh, wet 
due to sweat because I was out building swells in the middle of summers and other times just calmly digging into the dirt with my daughter while we plant seeds. I mean, there's all types of types of different rigorous movement that we can do with the, with the garden. And I explain how that movement makes us better and we doing and putting our muscles and our bones against the earth will make it that much easier how it builds our immune system we talked a little bit about that against all enemies foreign and domestic it doesn't matter if they come from outside or from the inside um, it helps us stay in the present moment it allows us to be grateful and and it protects us from not so it, so it protects us from those free radicals but it also protects us from all these electrical impulses that are around us these constant electrical impulses coming at us it, it also helps us it protects us from that so it, there's, it, it, it allows us to return to our natural electrical state, which allows us to function properly physiologically so our body will function as it should electrically as we touch the ground, as we ground ourselves to Mother Nature. So all those things you're going to learn in this new book called Playing in the Dirt, subtitled A Key to Sustainable Health. And if everything works out, it should be out June 1st, 2020. And like I said, you can get contacted with me on, on Instagram where I usually am, um, BenPageDC or my email, BenPageDC at gmail.com or my webpage, which is PastelsOfOutOfThisFarm.com. Well, man, I really appreciate you being here, and I'll make sure your Instagram, your Twitter, your Facebook, and your website are all in the show notes today, and I hope you have a great day, man. Again, thanks for being with us today. No, thanks for giving me this opportunity, Jack. It was awesome talking to you. All right, guys, as we wrap things up today, I want to remind you one of the ways that you can help support the Survival Podcast and the work that we do. Do your online shopping at tspaz.com. I don't have really an item of the day for you today. I have like a heads up on an item of the day of the past um, and there's two styles of these. These are the E-Tech City four packs of lanterns that I have recommended for a very long time. And about a year and a half ago, E-Tech City came out with a new version of this product that had a few added features that were nice. They weren't really huge, like like some mate, like you just throw away the old version because the new one was so better. They, but for the difference of like a dollar a piece, if you're going to buy them, it was worth buying the new version until things like today happen. They have a deal of the day on the older model. 20 bucks for a set of four. That's a, a, an LED lantern powered by, trip, uh, by, by AA batteries for five bucks. You get a four pack. These are a great thing to share. They're a great thing to have in your blackout kit. One of the things that I've done is in several rooms of my home, I've put very small hooks in the roof. And I've just taken some spray paint that matches the roof color, and I've just kind of like fade spray painted the hooks. If you walked in that room and didn't know where that hook was, you, you wouldn't even see it. Purpose of that hook, we have two sets of these. And I can walk into any one of those rooms, <clears throat> and I can hang one of these lanterns from that hook. I pull it down, I have a light on, I push it up, the light goes off. And now I have enough light to illuminate the entire room, and with as long as these things last with LEDs and a set of batteries, if you turn the F and light off, like Paul Wheaton would say when you leave the room, uh, you can get through just about any blackout. And that's one room that you can have lit whenever you need to. If you have kids, you give the kid one of these things. They put it on their night table. If the lights go out and they're scared, they reach over and pull it open. If they want to read before bed, it's enough to read barely. That's good. It sets them in that you know sundowner mode. Uh, if they're a little bit scared, you can open them just a little bit. And then you just go check on them, and once they're snoring and cutting Z's and sawing logs, you just push it shut. Oh, by the way, they come with batteries. 
The Dagon batteries for four of these it probably cost you ten bucks, and you can get the lanterns and the batteries for twenty bucks. Are they like super badass Duracell batteries? No, but I found the batteries that come with them are really, really great. Check them out today, and I just can't, I can't give you a better recommendation at five bucks a lantern. And Etech City is a great company. If there's ever anything wrong with a product. You'll get it. If you read my original write-up on these, you'll see that I asked them about some negative reviews. And they were basically like, listen, we, we, we sell millions of these things, literally millions of them. Um, when you sell that many of a, an electronic product like this, some of them are going to have a problem. We just accept that as a cost of doing business. If a customer gets a set of these and they turn them on and they work, we never hear a problem. We never hear from it. Whenever we hear a problem, somebody gets them and they get one that was damaged in shipping or there was a flaw and it doesn't work out of the box. We don't ask for it back. We just replace it. Okay, now that is a company, when you're dealing with a product of this level that is exactly doing what they should be, and they are dead honest, and nothing I've ever recommended from eTech City. And if you go check items of the day, you check tspaz.com for all the stuff in electronics, you'll find a ton of shit I've recommended from eTech City. Exactly zero times has eTech City's product come back and bit me in the ass from an angry customer. I had one guy one time, and he wrote me about this lantern, and he got a bad one. And I said, did you contact him and get a new one? No. Okay. Did I tell you that this can happen? Yes. So contact him and get a new one. About a week later, he's like, they sent me a new one. They're awesome. Yeah, surprising, I know. You know, if you just, you, know, you can get a DOA out of a $5 electronic product. But, man, um, I have bought two sets we have in our house. I've given a set to my son, I've given a set to a friend of mine, and I've given a set to in-laws. Uh, none of them were DOA, and nobody has ever had a problem with their lanterns. And I've heard from dozens and dozens of people that love these things. Five bucks a piece on a deal of the day. You can find it at tspaz.com or just go to the survivalpodcast.com and scroll down. And remember, if you don't ever want to miss out on anything, join the Daily Mail. The survivalpodcast.com, click on subscribe. Fill out a form, name and email address. I will never share your information because I'm not stupid. If you share your customers' information with other companies, you're stupid. It's the most valuable thing you have. So I won't share it not just out of morality, but I won't share it out of pure corporate greed. I don't want my customers available to other people to communicate, compete with me with. No way. No way, shape, or form. You are always safe subscribing to the Daily Mail. And remember, join the MSB. Get great discounts. And we're on sale right now. Discount code is 25bucks25bucks. With that, let's talk about our song of the day today. This is a great song. Um, this is an example of, you know Phil Collins has other songs, right? Um, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, you know, back when Phil Collins was a top 40 artist because he was releasing new music and he was in the current top 40 charts... If you listen to a radio station that was a Top 40 station, they played like three Phil Collins songs, uh, maybe. They played whatever the most current Top 40 Phil Collins song was, maybe the last one. And, and now, if you listen to like classic radio or something like that, um, that basically what they do, like you know, when they say classic or oldies or whatever the hell they want to call it now, what, what all these stations do on mainstream radio is they just have this catalog of music that's all the music that was in the top 40 over, let's say, the period of, let's say, 1975 to 1990, you know, something like that. And they just play music out of that catalog. So, like, Phil Collins is one of those guys that was always played in that type of radio mix, but they only played a couple, three, four Phil Collins songs. So that was the genesis of my wife and I used to say that all the time. You know, they have other Phil Collins actually has a lot of music. Elton John has well, he had so many top forties. It's got variety anyway. But like he has other music, 
And there's a lot of artists like that. They have other music that you just don't hear. That's actually great music, but maybe it didn't make the top 40 charts because it wasn't released as a single or whatever. This is one of those songs. Both Sides of the Story by Phil Collins. Um, in this song, what Phil is, is saying is you need to understand the perspective of people and stories. And, and I agree, and I also agree to disagree to a point, but not all the way. So what, <clears throat> what it says on Song Facts is, <clears throat> in this song, Collins reminds us to examine both sides of the story in various scenarios, including a homeless man who desperately wants a job, a couple on the brink of divorce, and a boy from the ghetto threatening a stranger with a gun, rather than make stack ju snap judgments. Okay, I, I agree, and I agree that whenever you tend to examine the story of the other side, you find things that make you sympathize with the other side. And I also agree that often humans have a bias, and whichever side of the story you hear for, first is the one you grab onto, and then you close off to the other side. So if you heard the story of the couple in divorce, whichever person tells you the story first, especially if you like them, you will then want to tune out the story of the other side. It takes two people to make a divorce. I'm just saying. Um, a homeless man that wants a job, if he tells you the story of his life and how he ended up homeless, you'll you'll understand. But if if you've heard the story of how he's on that corner every day, And as soon as he's done with his, you know, homelessness for the day, his job of being homeless, he goes to the liquor store with the money he was given to buy booze, you might become predisposed to not listen to the other side of his story and not take in the totality of that story. And well, why is he like that? Sure, he's making a bad decision. Sure, there's other decisions that can be made, but how did he get there? But there are decisions that you can make, no matter how valid your side of the story for how you got there is, that I'm sorry. That was way too far in the wrong decision. So if you are this this kid from the ghetto threatening a stranger that happens to be me with a gun, there's a very good chance that you're going to end up dead, especially depending on the situation and if you're foolish enough in that situation to give me an opening. I'm going to kill you because you threatened to kill me. So while I am open to both sides of the story, And I'm even open to, okay, if that guy didn't kill anybody, didn't get himself killed, and we're figuring out how to punish him, that some mitigation might go into that punishment. But there are acute points in making decisions that no matter how compelling or sympathetic your side of the story is, those decisions do not come without consequences. Somebody said, said something on Facebook today, and I misinterpreted it, by the way. It wasn't a conflict or anything, just I misinterpreted it. He was actually quoting uh, a Buck Owens song, uh, just popping off with lyrics. And But he said something, how many of you can sit and judge me? And my response to that was, well, that's a, uh, that's a flawed question. I can sit and judge anybody. Whether I'm right or wrong, I can. The world is full of things that we can do. And what we can do is not really important. What we do or do not do is what's important. So I got all philosophical. He's like, and I'm like, I posted the elf gif where like uh, Will Ferrell is like, oh, it's okay. I understand. So it was like, it was fun and, and an interesting exchange. Um, but there, there is a reality there. What you can do is irrelevant. So many things that you could do that are bad decisions, like put a gun in somebody's face. And so many things that you can do that would be a good thing to do that people just don't. Like, take care of yourself. There's not only both sides of the story in a conflict. There's not only both sides of the story when there's two individuals. 
anything in your life that you make an excuse about, there's two sides to that story. And just as, as you are predisposed to take sympathy and empathy with the first story that you hear, we have a predisposition in our lives to take sympathy and empathy with the first thing that we think about that given situation. And that is almost inevitably our excuse. We then become attached to our excuse. And often we can even go so far as to become attached to our problems, where we literally identify as a damaged person to the point where it becomes who and what we are and how we identify themselves, ourselves. To the point where if you tell me I'm not Jack Spirico, I have a problem with that because I am Jack Spirico. But if we tell someone you don't have to live this way, or you can change your life, or you are responsible for many of the things that ended you up where you are, and they have created a persona for themselves as a victim, they will actually lash out in anger and violence to defend that because they've grabbed onto one side of the story. So when you listen to this song, don't just think about the imagery that it conjures. A person who's had a hard life that makes a bad decision. Think about the two sides of the story that exist within your own individual life and the choices you've made and the choices you've failed to make. And then realize, like I always say, as long as you can fog a mirror, you have choice in what you do tomorrow. And instead of worrying about both sides of the story, figure out the right path to take. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast.